Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, orchestra. Thank you, choir. Um, just want to take a minute just to brag on uh, my two team members, Bobby and, and Brian, and, and three, actually, Dale, and five, actually, uh, Trina and Phyllis, who are not here. Of course, they're members of uh, Gatlin Creek. But uh, it is such a privilege to work with those folks, and, you know, you have a, a great team that God has put here, and I'm, I'm bragging on them and just thanking God for them. It's a pleasure for me to work with them and to see the expertise and the skill and the love and devotion for the Lord and you uh, that they have uh, because that's what they're doing. They're serving the Lord, and they're serving you, and they're magnifying Jesus and everything that they do, and, and uh, even the things you don't see, Jesus sees, God sees. And uh, it's just a privilege to work with these two fine men and Dale and, and our two secretaries. It's such a blessing. It's a blessing to be uh, to serve you. You're a great church, and uh, I love you. And we love you as your staff. And uh, y'all are good people. And y'all keep being good people, all right? If y'all be good, we'll be good. <laughs> I'm joking. But uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 35, and I just want to bring you up to speed with where we have left off two weeks ago, we were talking about Jacob, and that's where I want to pick up again today. As we continue this series, a great cloud of witnesses. A witness bears testimony. That's what you are. You are composing your testimony every day by the words that you say the way that you act and live, the things that you do, the places you go, your attitude, how you handle difficulties, how you respond to criticisms, and, and so on. And your testimony is more than just telling people how you were saved. It's really your whole life story. We use Hebrews 11 as our jumping-off point because that chapter is the chapter of faith, and it gives us a synopsis a brief overview of the Old Testament and all the saints of God who lived and served God through faith, whose testimonies live on as examples and encouragement and challenge and inspiration for all of us. And uh, after, at the end of that chapter, we read in verse 39 that the writer of Hebrews tells us that even them without us are not uh, complete that all these have obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made complete or perfect apart from us. In other words, what God is saying is that we continue to carry the torch for them. We are walking behind them in their footsteps. And uh, boy, did they set the bar high. And uh, we, are, we too are to carry our faith and that torch of our testimony. We're tracing the testimony of Jacob. And Genesis gives us the privilege of seeing Jacob's testimony at each stage of his spiritual development. And as we examine Jacob's story, we find some very striking similarities between our story, our testimony. Psalm 78.5 says, God established a testimony in Jacob. And that's what I want you to understand about your life. 
In fact, if you would think of that scripture and strike out the name Jacob and put your name, God is establishing a testimony in, now fill in your name. God is establishing his story in, put your name. That's what God is doing. And that's what I want us to see through this series. Where does Jacob's testimony begin? We looked at that a few weeks ago. It began at birth, just as yours does, before he was ever born. We find him grasping his brother's heel on the way out of the womb. And therefore, he was given the name Grasper, Jacob. He was a grasper. And we looked at, traced his life as a sinful, selfish grasper, just as all of us are born. We're all born with a sinful nature, trying to grasp everything we possibly can for ourselves and living for ourselves. But there comes a time in our lives where we have to stop living that way. We're confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the sinless Savior of the world. And Jacob came to confront, Jesus actually came to confront Jacob. And Jacob moved from being a grasper to, move, to being a vower. That is, he, the Bible says he vowed a vow. He made a commitment to God. He said, God is going to be my God. Has there been a time in your life where you've done that? Where you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you've driven down that spiritual marker in your life, and you know every time somebody asks you about it, when was the time you were saved? You can point back to that time in your life, and you can say, that's when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That's when I got saved. For me, I shared with you that was when I was six years old. For you, it may be other, uh, later or in another time. But do you have that point where you said, I made that commitment, I vowed a vow to the Lord. I committed my life to Him. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect because the next stage of Jacob's spiritual development, we saw that he was a struggler. He struggled with God. Remember, he wrestled with, with God. He struggled with his own faith. He struggled with fear. He struggled with all these problems that you and I struggle with too. That doesn't mean he wasn't a man of faith. But today we see yet another step in Jacob's spiritual journey. Jacob learned through his struggles that God is always faithful and good and worthy of worship. So today we're going to look at Jacob the worshiper as we rediscover some truths about genuine worship. We've had a great worship service. We always have a great worship time, don't we? We always are, have a wonderful, joyful spirit uh, that pervades this room when we start singing the praises of God. Our, our hearts are lifted. Our souls are, are intertwined in worship. Our, our countenance changes. The burdens of our life that we've experienced throughout the week seem to be lighter and be lifted. Hebrews eleven twenty one says, Jacob worshipped. This was part of his testimony, and it should be part of of yours and mine. So let's look at Genesis chapter 35. And I want us to read the first uh, 15 verses. And then we're going to look at this verse by verse. Then, Jacob, then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earnings which were in their e earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. 
And they journeyed, and the, ter- and the uh, terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the name of the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried be- uh, below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padan Aran and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in a place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. Let's pray together. Father, we need you if we're going to understand your word. Holy Spirit, you inspired this word to be written. What we have today, we can completely rely upon as trustworthy, dependable, true, faithful. And Lord, that it still speaks to us today. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. It's like a sharp two-edged sword that divides asunder soul and spirit and joints and marrow. So I pray that, Lord, as I speak it, that you would guard the words of my mouth, And, Lord, the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. And, Lord, may it fall upon ears that are eager to hear. Lord, hearts that are plowed and and good and ready to receive the seed of your word. Lord, I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives unto eternal life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship. You know, worship, first thing I want you to notice is verse 1. God said to Jacob, God is always pursuing you. That's what we're learning on Sunday nights in our experience in God study is God is always pursuing us. God pursued this relationship with Jacob. You know, left by ourselves, none of us would pursue God. But God pursued Jacob. God was the one who brought this grasper, selfish, sinful person and appeared to him and and showed him his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his love and That's what motivated Jacob to respond by faith. Here again, God is appearing to Jacob, and he said, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God is pointing him back to that point when he committed his life to Christ. He's pointing him back to that time when he vowed a vow. And see, that's what worship does. It's It is based on our previous commitment to Christ. Here's the point. If you're not saved, it doesn't matter how much you enjoyed the worship this morning, you didn't worship. If you have no relationship with God, or or maybe you have been saved, but you have been so distant from God, and that you haven't really talked to Him in a while, you haven't really prayed, you haven't really read the Scriptures, and you don't have a basis on which to worship. You're going through a motion that is meaningless, 
Maybe you're stirred by the emotion of the music. Maybe you get caught up in, in what's happening here as other people are worshiping, but your worship is not real if it's not based on something that's real. And worship is based on a real relationship with God. God was pointing Jacob back to this moment when he had committed his life to Christ. I want you to look at a few scriptures here. They'll be up on the screen, but Psalm chapter 45, verse 11. The Bible says, I'm going to read it too because i got a paper clip. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord, worship him. Because he is your Lord, worship him. The inference there is if he is not your Lord, you don't worship him. But because he's your Lord, you do worship him. Look at Psalm 95 in verse uh, 6 and 7. The scriptures tell us in that passage of scripture, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Our worship is based on the fact that we belong to God. And Psalm 107 in verse 2, the Bible says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord, or have you been redeemed by God? Have you been saved? Has the price for your salvation, the forgiveness of sin, been paid? Has it been paid? Brian just said it was in his song. What did Jesus say? It is finished. You know what that word is in the Greek? It's the Greek word tetelestai, and it means paid in full. Have you ever gone off and how many of you paid off your house? Are you happy? Did you do a dance? Did you sing a song? Did you glory to God? I mean, when you paid off something like a house, man, it is paid in full. You owe nothing else. That's what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Your sin debt was paid in full. You owe nothing else. Hallelujah! Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But if you haven't been redeemed, if you haven't been saved, there's no worship. What do you have to worship about? Matthew chapter 15. In verse 9, Jesus said, These people draw near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. May that not be true for you. Now it begs the question, what did you do before you walked into this service? How have you lived this week before you stepped into this place? Paul, in Acts chapter 17, was walking in the capital city there of Athens, Greece. He noticed all these objects of worship. And he even noticed one that said to the unknown God. And he said there in, in Acts chapter 17, in verse 22, to these men, <clears throat> he said, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. They were worshiping a God they didn't know, but they weren't really worshiping God. They were idolatrous. 
They had many other gods that they were worshiping. And I wonder how true that is in churches across America, Sunday to Sunday, that the God that they sing about and worship is just one of many in their lives. They've been worshiping work all week. They've been worshiping money all week. They've been worshiping leisure, pleasure, sex, whatever it is. They've been worshiping all these other gods all throughout the week. And, and then they come to this service, or they come to a service like this, and, and God's just one of many. That's not real worship. That's false worship. Jacob's worship was based on his relationship, his connection to God. Is ours. Is yours. Secondly, I want you to notice something about Jacob as a worshiper in verse 2. It says here, And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Worship comes from pure lives. comes from pure hearts. Not lives that have been adulterated by the things and the cares of this world and other gods and, and other pursuits that where God is not central, where God is not the main force of your life. To come on Sunday and pretend that's true is hypocrisy. It's not real worship. You may be stirred by the emotion. You may enjoy the crescendos of the music. And you may agree heartily with the words. But if you have been through the week living separate from God, and your heart's not pure, and you've been participating in all sorts of sin and wickedness and iniquity. What you're doing here today is empty and vain and displeasing to God. I'm not challenging you to stay home. You ought to be here. But instead of raising your hands, where should you be? Flat on your face. You know the word worship? You know what it means? It doesn't mean raising your hands. I raised my hands. You saw me. If you were looking, it doesn't matter if you did or not. You're in Brian's song. Some of you raise your hands. You're in other songs. You're just worshiping the Lord. But you know that's not the meaning of worship. You know what the meaning of worship is? The Greek word is proskuneo. It means to prostrate oneself. It means to fall on your face. So if really all of us were truly worshiping, we wouldn't be having our hands held up or standing up. We'd be falling flat on our face. In fact, every man that saw God or a, or a um, reflection of God or an image of God or an angel of God in the Bible, what did all of them have in common? What did they do? They fell flat on their face. I'm not discouraging from raising your hands. I hope you will follow the Spirit and continue to worship as God leads you to worship or to stand or to kneel or to do whatever. But worship... Is not just an outward expression, it's an inward reflection. It's an inward reality. I've, have you been living a pure life before the Lord? Look at Psalm 24, 3 and 4 up on the screen. Psalm 24, 3 through 5. Um, the Bible tells us in that passage of Scripture, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? He who has what? Who can stand in his holy presence? Who can actually stand up in his holy presence? He who has what? Say it. Clean hands and what? 
Oh, it's not up there. Sorry. <laughs> Clean hands and a pure heart. Otherwise, I should be flat on my face. I mean, if we're going to follow the technicality of this. Worship comes from pure hearts and, and pure lives. Jacob called them to get rid of their foreign gods. We're fixing to go worship God in Bethel. What does Bethel mean? The house of God. We're fixing to go to the house of God, get rid of everything in your life that hinders your worship. Psalm 66, 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He will not receive my worship if I know I have iniquity in my heart. Matthew 5, 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. You want to see God. You want to experience God this morning. Pure in heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. The Bible says, by, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a, what? True heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, that is with the blood of Christ, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Worship comes from pure hearts and pure lives. Jacob said, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your clothes, change your garments. Paul talks about in the New Testament, put off the clothes of the world, put off the, the flesh, put off the, the sin, and put on Jesus Christ. And that's not just something you do Saturday night getting ready for Sunday morning. That's something we do all the time daily, putting off the world, putting off our sin, and putting on Christ. True worship comes from pure hearts and pure lives. I want you to notice something else as we look at verse 3 in Genesis 35. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. You know what worship does? It flows out of gratefulness to, for God's work in our lives. Jacob was recounting here, he said, we're going to go worship God who's, who's answered my prayers, who's been with me, who has blessed me, who has protected me, who has given me these things. I'm, I'm coming, we're going to worship this great God who's done all these wonderful things for me. And that's what worship does. It's, it flows out of a gratefulness to God for all that He is and all that He's done for you and I. Has God done anything for you? What has He done for you? Has He saved you? Has He redeemed you? Has He given you food this week? Did everybody eat this week? Anybody go hungry because you had to? Everybody have a place to sleep this week? Everybody have a bed to sleep in this week? Did everybody have heat or air this week? Did everybody have water, Coke, whatever you drink, tea? Did y'all have all that? You got clothes on your backs? Man, has God not been good to us? Aren't you sitting in a beautiful sanctuary on a soft cushion pew and the preacher's preaching too long? Amen. <laughs> Paul's worshiping. At least he's honest. No, 
Boy, how God has been, how God, how good God has been to us. You know, He has been so good to me. He's been so good to you. I mean, it just makes me smile when I think about how much, how much He's done for me and how little I deserve it. I mean, it's like, I don't deserve it. God is so good to me. And it just makes me want to pour out more praise and more worship to Him because I know who I am. He knows me more than I know myself. He knows what kind of person I was and could be without Him. And yet He's still in His mercy and just continues to pour out His amazing grace. Man, I have so much to worship Him for. He's blessed me tremendously. The Bible says in Psalm 19, in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Even the heavens are praising Him. In Psalm 66, in verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, say this to God, quote, How awesome are your works! Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Say to God, How awesome are your works! Join me in saying that. God, how awesome are your works! See, worship flows out of that gratefulness that we have in our hearts to God. Psalm chapter 86 and verse 12 and 13. The Bible says in those verses, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Hey, God has delivered you and me. He's delivered us from death. He has conquered death for us. He has given us everlasting life. The grave cannot hold us. We have been delivered from death. Praise God. So, we have a lot to be grateful for. We look in, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 25 in the New Testament. We see some examples of this. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 25, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. And it says, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house. Period. What did he do as he went? Glorifying God. His worship flowed out of what God had done for him. You know, it's easy to have pity parties. We have them from time to time, don't we? But man, if you just look, not the situation you're in, but you just look at what God has already done for you. First of all, it boosts your faith. in realizing that God's not done. What God's done for you in the past, He's not going to leave you in that present condition. It also helps you, lifts your heart in praise and adoration. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we can whine and complain all day long about our present condition, but that whining and complaining is a lack of gratefulness. That's all it is. Pure and simple. I'm reading through the uh, Old Testament again this year and in the book of uh, Leviticus. That's where you normally have your devotions every day, isn't it? Open your Bibles to Leviticus. Everybody goes... <laughs> But you know, um, one thing that you notice in Leviticus is God, people of Israel started complaining about their condition. Now they had been slaves in Egypt. 400 years slaves in Egypt. Begging, crying out to God, God, get us out of here, please. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've come down, I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to send you back to, to lead the pack. 
God does that through mighty miracles, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and, and they go in the wilderness. And now they're in the wilderness, they're free, they've seen the mighty act of God, and, and they're free from their old circumstances, and all of a sudden they go, hey, wait a minute, when we were in Egypt, we had, we had all kinds of cool food. And all we get now is manna, manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for supper. When are we ever going to get a piece of meat? When are we going to get some steak and baked potato? And they started griping and complaining and whining and fussing. And God came to Moses and says, I've heard they're whining and complaining. And you know why they were whining and complaining? They forgot how good God had been. They were ungrateful for what God had already done. They forgot the greatness of God and instead of worshiping, they were whining. You can't worship and whine at the same time. Do you know that? Anybody ever whine? None of y'all do. I remember one time I was substitute teaching where Tana, yeah, I am going to go there. No, I'm not going to tell that one, so I'm going to tell the other story. She was thinking about another story. I knew what she was thinking, but I ain't going to tell that one. Um, Publicly. <laughs> but no, I was substitute teaching. I go to school with Tana every day and, and substitute. This is after I finished seminary and waiting for her to finish her school year. And, and I'd go substitute. And I think it was the third grade class. And uh, the teacher had left some assignments. Of course, you know, when, when the substitute shows up, what do the kids think? Freedom! Well, that's not how I saw it. You know, I was going to be the substitute teacher. I wasn't the substitute babysitter. And uh, so I wanted him to learn, and the teacher had left some lessons planned, and I were going through them, and all of a sudden they go, <laughs> and they were just whining, 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 whining. And, you know, I just said, y'all hush. I said, whining's for dogs. And that's what I say to you, and that's what God says to you. Whining's for dogs. It ain't for God's people. We don't whine and complain when we have so much to be grateful for. Are you whining because you don't like your circumstances? Or are you worshiping because God's been so good to you? Jacob said, man, God's been good to me. He's been with me all this time. I have so much to thank him for. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus healed a blind man. He said Jesus commanded the blind man to be brought to him, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the man said, Lord, I, I want to see. Jesus said, okay, see. Your faith has made you well. You know, in Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, John, they all record the black print is very important. Don't forget the black print. The red print's very important. They're the words of Christ. But that black print, that's inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. Thank God for the black print. I learned a lot from the black print of my Bible too. Had, Matthew, had, had Luke not added that verse, a commentary, it would, it would leave out a lot of the story. Because the black print, Luke says, and immediately the man received his sight and followed Jesus. And glorified God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. You see, that's what worship is. 
it flows from a heart of gratefulness. And you know, if you've been whining all week and you show up to worship, are you really worshiping? And, and, don't, and, and you know what God said in Leviticus? That they were complaining in their tents. Then coming to the tabernacle, he said, I heard them complaining in their tents. But somehow we don't think God hears us when we're at home, when we're on the job. He just pays attention to us when we're in church. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I can't believe what God's put me through. This is the most disgusting part of my whole life. And oh, so-and-so, you ever seen what? You know, like God doesn't hear any of that. Out of the same mouth comes forth blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Is it really worship? Or is it just going through the motions? We need to get real. You'd be happy to know that, that I got four more points, but I'm stopping here. <laughs> Should not that promote you to worship? We will finish next Sunday. Worship is based on our relationship with God. Do you have one? Worship comes from pure hearts and lives. Are you one? Worship flows out of gratefulness for what God has already done in our lives. Are you grateful? Let's bow together.